We do begin our, our journey through the book of Acts today, and um, you know, I've been reading the opening chapters of this great book uh, once again, and I, after my experience in Moldova, and hear about their church planning operations, and then Uzbekistan, and meeting Alexei, and uh, I read this pas- these passages in this, about this young church in the book of Acts, and the, I'm just struck by the similarities between the two situations. Uh, both churches fully dependent on the protection and the work of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. There's no success. There's no infiltration into the culture. There's no good news being presented without the Holy Spirit's superintendence over their situation. And they're constantly praying to give us open doors, give us open doors that we may be able to share the good news of who Jesus is with others. And they both are doing it, both in hostile communities, Jerusalem and in Uzbekistan. And as we go through this book, not only, not only do I want us to just learn from the events that take place, and there's so many rich things in the book of Acts for us to, to mentally learn, but I want us to catch the spirit of what God is doing in His church. You know, God is doing some marvelous things around the world, isn't He? Marvelous things around the world, and I just... I, I don't know, but I just don't want to be left out, right? <laughs> I want to be a part of this marvelous work that the Holy Spirit is doing around the world. And I, I believe that God can still work in the United States of America. <laughs> Amen? I believe He can still ignite His church to do powerful and amazing things. But it's not going to do it because we're smart. It's not going to do it because we got great ideas. It's not even going to happen because we got this wonderful vision. It's going to happen because we have him. And so as we look through this book, keep that in mind. This book is a description of uh, what happens when God is unhindered, unleashed through his people. This book is uh, volume two of Luke's gospel. Uh, It's written by the doctor, the great physician Luke, and uh, he is a, a it is a personal letter, probably, to a man named Theophilus, and the, the Gospel of Luke also has the, him as the, uh, who it's addressed to. And uh, Luke, in writing this, it's easy to see his intention is he just, he didn't want to wrap up with the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus because he knew there was so much more to still tell. There was so much more that the Holy Spirit was going to do in the hearts and lives of people. So the book of Acts is this story of God's working empowering His people to change the world. So let's get started. First 11 verses of Acts 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up to heaven, after He had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom He had chosen. To these He also presented Himself alive after His suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. These opening three verses there really are kind of a tie to the gospel gospel of Luke that he finished. So gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, Jesus says, says this, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Wouldn't you have loved to have heard Jesus say those words to you? 
Just stay. You are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not too many days from now. So when they came together, they were asking him, okay, heard that we're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the disciples, they hear this grand announcement of Jesus and they say this, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then he pivots back to what he really wants to talk about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. You can just see the disciples. What did we just see? And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Amen? I say, it's time for him to come back. Don't you think? I think he just ought to come. I think that'd be awesome. You know, in the opening, uh, we find the disciples in this time period between the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So now Jesus is gone, and they're going to enter into this time period where they're waiting on the gift of the Holy Spirit to come to them. And uh, in this period, I want you to know, this is the last and only time that we're going to hear questions like this one from the disciples. Uh, the, the question they ask makes us, from our vantage point, go, why? Oh, don't, don't ask something like that. You're going to regret that question later. Uh, it just kind of makes us shake our heads. And, uh, because they're still asking Jesus about earthly, temporary things. And not heaven. And not the kingdom. Lord, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the fire and the power. Are you going to restore Israel to its kingdom? They still wanted their agenda from him. Don't you just love Jesus? I mean, I mean, we love Jesus, but don't you love the way Jesus handles things sometimes? He actually, he actually just kind of brushes that question off because he... He knows what's about to happen. He knows the Holy Spirit is coming. He knows what's going to happen with the fire and the wind and the... Oh, he just knows. And he's thinking, you guys are going to regret that question later. <laughs> and he brushes it off and... Uh, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You don't need to know all of those other things. You don't need to know all the epics and times that the Father has said. Just don't, don't, don't give that attention. Those are, those are stuff of this world, and that's just don't bother. That's such a puny prayer, disciples. It's such a, that's such a weak, it's such a small thing compared to what's getting ready to happen in your life. 
And I thought about that. I think sometimes we ask Jesus for much too little. Don't you think? From the perspective that God has and all that God wants to do in the world and all that God wants to do in your life, all that God wants to do in the church, all the way in God wants to move in our world today, and we're asking Him, uh, like what? Can I just have a few more dollars? We, we want to take the kids to Disneyland. You know, you look at the global church of Jesus Christ today, and there are some exciting, exciting things going on. Unreached people groups are hearing the gospel like never before. Christianity is even penetrating the Muslim world. Praise God. Do you know that? I, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago that Iran is the fastest growing Christian church in the world, and, and that's just really Jesus doing these things, and He is just igniting people around the world with the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts, as we go through it, it's not, it's not just a historical record of what God once did through some people in some place. This is how God works. This is how God works in people. This is how He works in His church. His church changes the communities in which they exist because of His power that lives within them. I ask myself this, so I'm going to ask you this. What are you asking God for these days? What, what's your prayers like? Over the past three weeks, before I went to Moldova, I visited Normandy for three days in France and the, uh, went to Omaha Beach. In the American cemetery that sits just above Omaha Beach where thousands of soldiers are buried. It was pretty poignant because it's winter and nobody goes to Normandy in the winter. <laughs> and so I'm walking through these acres and acres and acres of crosses, 9,000 and some crosses. And it's drizzling and it's cloudy. And I'm all alone. And I look over there and I see, and I just imagine the day. And I see this, this surge of hundreds and thousands of soldiers giving their lives. And I see their graves, the beach to my left, the graves to the right. And I think, who does that? Who lives with such sacrifice? And I thought of my own journey with Jesus, and I thought, that's, that's, a, that's a picture of our life, <laughs> is that we've died to the things that the world wants to say is important. You know, no, you, don't, you shouldn't do that. You should hang on to the stuff, and you should protect, and... When I think of the church in Uzbekistan, and I think, what if they outlawed Christianity in Texas? What would we do? That's common around the world, you know. Would we find a way to get together and pray and praise? And... Well, let's just think about this. 
Would we pray differently? Would we worship differently? So Jesus, he puts their question into perspective by saying these grand events, it's not your concern. Now, as monumental as you may seem to think they are, they are nothing compared to the eternal work of the Holy Spirit that's about to take place in your life. And I'm sure when they hear this, the, 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 the sound of, of, of the teachings of Jesus that could have rang in their ears were something like this. They remember Him saying, don't lay up your treasures here on earth, but rather where? In heaven. They, they might have remembered Him saying, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses, and loses means lose, right? For his sake, I mean his life for my sake, and the Gospels will save it. You'll have real life. He was taking their worldly mindset of wanting this worldly power and worldly prestige and worldly recognition. And, uh, oh, disciples, you don't want just that. Verse 8, the famous verse of the passage, but you will receive power, begins with that word but in the Greek is the word Allah, A-L-L-A. And it's important because it's, it's a connecting word. It's a word that connects one phrase to another, and it is a word that means contrary. It's a word that connects the previous phrase with what's coming together, what's coming after as two opposites. Two phrases in opposition to one another, if you will. There, there's, there's other words that he could have used. Uh, uh, typically in a situation like this, the word would be gar, G-A-R, which would uh, be the typical pivot from one phrase to the next. But it doesn't have the same connotation as saying, I want you to know what you just said is the opposite of what I'm about to say. Jesus turns the temporal, worldly question to describe what will happen to the way you think, the way you live, to everything about your vision and purpose when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He says everything is going to change. Your prayers will change. What you hope will change. How you invest your time and your money and your days will change and even how you view your own mortality will change. I'm with Jesus. Do what you need to do, but I'm with Jesus. You'll see yourselves completely, completely dead to the world. Who would want that? And you'd be completely alive to the powerful Holy Spirit of the resurrected Christ filling each day with these new opportunities. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, disciples, everything will change. And the verse says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be, not maybe, not might. If the Holy Spirit completely envelops you, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The word power in Greek is dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. It means this miraculous force. 
Isn't it great to know we serve a God who is all-powerful, who is all-able, who is completely capable? There's nothing out of His reach. He says, when I come upon you, church, you will have such power, you will have such unction in you, you will be my witnesses, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and just by the way that you are, the ways that you walk, where you go, your work, your community, the grocery store, everywhere you go, you're going to be revealing the kingdom of God. You're going to do it first in Jerusalem or Georgetown. Then you're going to spread it out to Judea. It's going to spread all the way to Williamson County. And then it's going to go to Samaria, the whole state of Texas. Amen. And even to the remotest part of the earth. Places like Uzbekistan. I just think sometimes we expect way too little. Oh, Lord, I just want a nice, comfortable life, and I just want to build a nice nest egg, and I want to someday retire. Oh, okay, I've got to retire, and I want to play golf every single day. Really? I mean, do we really? And I have to challenge it because I've just seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the church culture in which I grew up in. Do we really think that the Holy Spirit comes into our life fills us with the power of God so that we can be happy, comfortable, prosperous people. Let me tell you, when we think that way, we miss what God really has for us. You know, on the plane home yesterday, I watched the I watched the war movie. You're going to really think I'm into war, you know, but it was kind of the theme of the trip, okay? So on the way home on the, on the airport, on the airplane, they show, they're showing the movie Midway. They just came out this last year. Probably seen it, some of you. I'd never seen it. And I'm watching this, this, uh, this, this movie, and in one scene, I, I saw this scene that kind of reminded me of what I was going to say today. This fighter pilot, he comes to his commanding officer and says, hey, you need to choose somebody else. I just don't have what it takes for this mission. He was just scared to death. And his, his captain looks at him and says, Son, I've already lost too many pilots. You have to do your job, soldier. Copy that. <laughs> and he's scared to death. And they, they switch to this scene where there's this, this guy who's the same rank as the the, the scared soldier, and uh, he's just, he just, he just can't wait to get in that plane. And somebody asked him, how come you have so much courage? He says, I got it from my grandfather. He says, I got it from my grandfather. My grandfather grew up in New York, and uh, he worked on the Empire State Building, and he was a welder. And he would go out on those beams hundreds of feet above uh, the, the street, and he would be welding with no safety rope, just hanging out there on a beam. And he says, they got the Empire State Building done, and uh, one day he's walking home, and a car lost control, jumped the curb, and took him out. He says, you just never know. <laughs> you just never know. So why get all upset? Just live your life and do your job. 
Playing it safe, folks, is the opposite of faith. Cowering in fear to protect what little we really have forfeits the greatness that God has called us to. Let me say that again, I like that. (laughs) Playing it safe or cowering in fear to protect what little we really have forfeits the greatness God has called us to. And it doesn't matter how old you are. Amen. I I, I say this often, but I, I look at these teenagers down here. I think teenagers can change the world. I really do. I think teenagers who buck the system, who say, I'm not going to live like other teenagers. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm not going to live for my own vocation. I'm going to live for my own future. I'm going to live for the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit dictate the days of my life. And I'm going to say to my generation that God is alive and He's well and He changes people's lives. I think children, teenagers, can change the world. You know who else I think can change the world? Senior citizens. Power. We're starting a movement right here, right now. Don't you think senior citizens can change the world? Oh, I do. You might even... (laughs) Okay, you might even change the world one golfer at a time. I don't know. You know what I'm saying, right? But I think senior citizens who refuse, refuse to buy into the worldly concept of life where you work hard, you amass a, a, a small fortune, and then you retire and play golf and just uh, don't ever do anything meaningful the rest of your life is not God's plan. I'll just tell you that. I just don't think it's God's plan. I think every day God gives you breath, He's got something for you to do. He's got something for what He wants to be in you. He wants to expand your understanding of His love, and He wants, to underst- he wants you to understand more about His mission in the world and how you fit into that, and He wants to make your days significant, every single one. So I think senior citizens can change the world. And if I didn't say your age group, you can too, okay? Now here's the thing. Hear this. Teenagers, listen to this. Senior citizens, listen to this. You can't have it both ways. You can't. You can't live for yourself and have the power of the Spirit dynamically working in your life. You just can't. We don't have any biblical evidence for that. We have a mountain of biblical evidence for the contrary. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose it for Him, You're going to live like you never thought possible. You might be responding in your heart right now saying, you know, I I want that. 
I want, I want God's power. I want the Holy Spirit dynamically expressing the life of God through me. And I, I, I don't want to live for myself. I, I understand the tendencies that I have to be selfish and want. And I don't want to live for myself when it comes right down to it. I don't want to put all of my effort towards my own comfort. And I really do want to be a part of this movement of God in the world today. How does that work? What do I, what do I, how do I get there? And I think part of the answer is found in verse 8. He calls us witnesses. And witnesses in, in the Greek is the word martus. And the word martus is where we get the word what? <laughs> martyr. And in English, we would say witness and martyr, those don't seem to go together. But think about it. What does a witness in a court of law do? Gives testimony based upon real life experience that they've seen or or done, right? They don't really care what's done with the testimony. They don't really care if it's well received in the court. That's not their job. What is a witness's job? (laughs) This is just what happened. And if that means he goes to jail, he goes to jail. I can't worry about the impact of my testimony. I can just give it. And that's what we as Christians do, folks. We just live Jesus unapologetically. And if it rubs some people wrong or if it gets us in trouble or if it... (laughs) We are who we are. In my journey through France, you know, I rented a car, drove from Paris out to Normandy, and then I drove back to this other little place where I had to catch a flight to Moldova. And uh, I went through this town, uh, and it's spelled uh, R-O-U-E-N. Have you heard of that sound before? You heard of that town before? You think it's Ruin? You think it's Rowan? Yes! Wah! <laughs> I practiced that. I knew I had my French friend here today who's going to critique me, so I practiced. Anyway, that's the town where Joan of Arc met her demise. And uh, she was a teenage girl, a warrior. And when, a, uh, when she was arrested, all of her friends... Everybody abandoned her. And one of her famous quotes is this, It is better to be alone with God. His friendship will not fail me, nor His counsel, nor His love. In His strength I will dare and dare and dare until I die. Burned at the stake at the age of 19. That inspires me. She got it. Who are we talking about today? Are we talking about Joan of Arc or her supporters that left? Her life stands as a testimony. She was who she was. I, I, I'm, with, I'm with God. If you kill me, you kill me. But I'm not changing my story. And sometimes we just play it much too safe.
We think we have the power to hold on to things. We think we can protect our kids from everything. We think we can uh, hold on to our money enough to where we're going to have enough. And we, we think that we can manage our life and we just worry and we fear. And, uh, and because of that, we make compromises and we forfeit the greatness that God has called us to. And as this story of Acts unfolds, we will see how God captures these people, rescues them from the mundane and the boring and the frightful and the timid and I think each of us, as we go through our lives, what is, it, what is it that we hold on to? What is it that we, if we just lost it, I'd just, I would lose it. <laughs> what, what, keeps me, what keeps me so afraid and what keeps me so inhibited and what keeps me held back? And Oh, Holy Spirit, come and just rip that away from me and just show me how temporary it is. It's just like the, 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 the disciples wanting the restoration of their earthly kingdom and, oh Lord, I just give it all to you. I want to be a part of something that you're doing that is great and filled with you. Why don't you bow your heads with me? And I want to ask you, as I, before I pray, I want, you to, I want you to think in your own life. Do you have a source of worry? Do you have a source of fear? I want you to think about that thing. And as I pray, just put it before me. Just say, Lord, this is way too important. And I've made it important because the world says it's important, because my history says it's important. Everybody around me has the same important things as I do. And it's, it's all so temporary. It's all so worldly. Let's just give it to Him. Father, in these closing moments, you know each of our hearts, and you know the points at which we have... Uh, gone our own way and, and, and tried to manage life and tried to uh, handle things on our own and uh, juggling this and juggling that and uh, hoping that our kids turn out okay and hoping that we'll have enough money to retire someday or just praying for such worldly things all the time that our lives have been consumed with it and Father... I'm just praying today that as a church family, as individuals, we can come before you and say, Lord, I don't want my hands on any of this. It's holding me back and it's killing me in some ways and it's just leading to a, a life of frustration and a life of fear. And uh, I want to be able to stand with these, these martyrs of the past, these great men, these great women of faith who said, my life is not about this world. And Father, I believe that you can send a work of revival to the church in the United States of America today. And I pray for it, and I pray that in this local church that we would embrace the power and the life of Christ 
that can work in us to change the world as we proclaim you, as we live you. So, Father, we ask that uh, during this year, 2020, you have your way with us, that you do whatever it takes to bring about your desire for our lives and for our church. In Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand.